Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Soundcheck, the rock and roll and alternative music podcast here at Central Michigan Life. My name is Andrew Mall. As always, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Michael Livingston. And we are coming at you live from quarantine. It's been, well, not live. This has been pre-recorded. We are coming pre-recorded from quarantine because, well, we've been away for a bit and the world's gone to shit while we've been gone. It's kind of one of the main reasons why we've been gone, but uh, we're happy to be back. Uh, I, I, I've missed doing a podcast for a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I've been listening to a lot of music in my spare time that I've suddenly achieved. I'm sure you, you all have been doing the same as well. Oh, yes. Most definitely. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're, we're coming back here today with, a, I guess, kind of a very timely episode since they recently released, since this band that we're talking about recently uh, released their first album in about seven years. And of course, I'm talking about Pearl Jam with a brand new record, Gigaton. We'll be talking about the new record later. Obviously, Pearl Jam has been around for a long, long time, over 30 years, I want to say, at this point. And uh, I think it's no better time than to finally talk about them. We've spoken a little bit about them, you and me, Michael, in the past before, especially when we talked about our debut records. In fact, we put their album 10 at number, oh, yeah. the number one spot there by, I think, a wide margin. I mean, they were, I mean, they were by far easily the, the best choice of the list because it's yeah, it's probably the best debut album ever. So I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll talk about that a little bit as well. But we—it's not just going to be us two going um, uh, diving into Pearl Jam today. Uh, we actually have a very special guest to help talk about them. Uh, if you'd like to introduce yourself, hey, I'm a uh, Joseph Michael Summers, professor of English here, and just old by general nature. <laughs> uh, so I. Uh, I, I guess, I mean, Pearl Jam, they don't probably need much introduction, so I think we can uh, kind of jump into this. Uh, but I, if you just want to give us a little more about uh, what you do at Central and kind of what your relationship is to Pearl Jam. <laughs> what do I do at Central? Um, as a professor, that is questionable. Um, ostensibly, I teach. You can't see me air quoting, but you can feel it. Um, I research into comics and children's literature and popular culture. Uh, I do fun and neat things. I really enjoy my time with students. So, yes, when the, you say the world has gone to shit, it has gone to shit by a variety of different levels and means, not just, uh, I mean, certainly most importantly because of the uh, coronavirus. But uh, yeah, man, I, I miss uh, I miss y'all. So this is real nice. Um, by way of Pearl Jam, God, how old was I when Pearl Jam dropped? Um, probably in my mid-teens. So my uh, my hormones are completely out of whack, right? And that's perfect. I mean, it's early '90s. Grunge has come upon us. Here comes this rock band. Um, but it's a very personal uh, band with a lot of cerebral lyrics. I've got hormones, uh, so much more than I now have, of course. Um, so my hairline tells me, uh, and, uh, you know, realistically it's speaking to me with this dude from Evanston, Illinois, uh, bringing a lot of this, this, this deep baritone that can somehow just jump several octaves incredibly and a band like I haven't heard maybe ever, or certainly since, you know, kind of the sonic bombast of like the seventies, you know, the who obviously Zeppelin, a lot of those things, a lot of punk sounds and 
I'm just taken and grabbed. And like you say, with 30 something years later, we're talking about it still and I couldn't be happier. So I'm talking, I don't know how y'all, how old you all are, but I'm significantly older than I was and we're still talking about it and I'm happy as hell. Well, yeah, I think Andrew and I can fondly look back on when we first got into music as the whole grunge scene being a pretty integral moment in our progression as music fans. And I, you know, I hear you talk about Pearl Jam in the same way a lot of people will talk about Nirvana, Soundgarden, or Alice in Chains. So I wanted yeah. to ask where Pearl Jam fits in the whole scheme of grunge music. Do you even feel like that's a proper definition to give Pearl Jam? No, uh, they're not a grunge band. They're a rock band in a grunge period, which is why when people say, what's the greatest grunge band that's popularly regarded, of course, of all time, it's Nirvana. That's, that's not a question. Um, it's, it's not a question at all. It's, uh, it's pretty solidly held that you're not going to beat them. That's why you know, David Grohl's still with us in a, in a different way uh, with Foo Fighters. Pearl Jam, I, I think they get put into grunge because a lot of things get mischaracterized as grunge. And a lot of bands evolve into grunge. I mean, Smashing Pumpkins, not grunge, but it becomes grungier. Mm. Um, this, you go from Gish to Siamese Dream, Siamese Dream to uh, the double album, uh, uh, Melancholy. Melancholy. Melancholy, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they, they start pushing, but then they start pushing into techno. I mean, these bands were evolutionary. Uh, and as a result, they became a great many things. Pearl Jam, if anything, they moved further and further away. I mean, you're talking about a band that every couple drummers or every drummer, which is every couple of years, except for uh, when Cameron comes along for the last 20 or so, uh, basically starts evolving and changing their sound. It's just breathtaking. Here's one more topic I want to get to before we get into our, our lists. Yeah. Um, you know, these guys may be old, but they play like hell. And oh. one thing I've always wanted to see in my life is like Pearl Jam playing a sold out baseball stadium. How did they become such a huge live phenomenon? Because they're considered like on the same level as like Grateful Dead or like a jam band where they attract millions and millions of people to come see them live. They're not Springsteen yet because they got to go three hours plus and say, we're going to keep going to, you know, it's that three hours meaning four or until, you know, the boss falls asleep. Um, I, I, I don't know how, I mean, I saw them when they were still relatively young. Um, I mean, there's energy. And then, uh, you know, the, one of the drummers that is behind probably 50 to 60%, at least only two proper albums and a lot of single or uh, a lot of singles and B-sides, Dave Eberzis, uh, he brings such kinetic en energy to his kit, but it's so confined and restrained. And he has all the cymbal structure, right? And he's the only drummer that's really ever used the cymbals in that way. Matt Cameron has, I think, maybe five or six on his kit, unless it's something orchestral. Um, but you get all that, you get that deep, that deep rhythm section moving and it just opens up the guitars in a sort of wall of sound affair and Vedder just nukes. I mean, whether he's climbing up the top of scaffolding and stage diving 15, 20 feet down, not killing himself, I don't know how, innumerable times. And I know uh, you can look at, because uh, everything's on YouTube, bless your generation. They put it all on YouTube so everyone can see it. You've got this 25-year-old cat hanging off of a, uh, a camera uh, setup, and they, they just they, they push him out over the crowd, and he just dives from 15, 20 feet in the air, stage diving. And, you know, you can see the members of the band going, oh, my God, my, my, my lead singer is going to die. But he doesn't die. I mean, because he, he loses his shirt. 
but the crowd carries him and throws him and pushes him back. And he does that over the course of the 45 to 50 minutes that you have there. It's friggin' insane. It's wonderful. They, they loved him even then. How could you not? Yeah. And as you get older, hopefully you don't do that because <laughs> <laughs> your hip hurts, man. Your hip really hurts. When's the last time you saw Pearl Jam live? I have, uh, again, I'm an old drummer, uh, literally, and uh, like any good old drummer, uh, you know, you can use your in-ears properly or you can jack up the volume really, really loud like an idiot. So I have intractable uh, or intractable bilateral tinnitus. Uh, I can't see a lot of live rock anymore due to the damage that's been done to my ears. I haven't seen Pearl Jam in person live since, I want to say... 1999 it was a few years yeah it's been a few years but there's that's okay because i didn't like the way matt cameron played um uh his track part or his uh, drum parts through at least 2010 Mm -hmm. it it, it took him a long time to acclimate a sound garden sound to a uh, a pearl jam sound and it didn't sound right live so i have no regrets but for the record I'm, i'm not a matt cameron hater at all matt cameron's why they're still around um, and God bless Matt fucking Cameron, and he is wonderful. What, I guess, kind of what got you into Pearl Jam? I think you might have discussed a little bit, uh, Joseph, but um, Michael, why don't you start us with that conversation? How did you get into Pearl Jam? I don't know if we discussed that in our, uh, when we did our debut albums I think list. We were definitely like fangirling about it when we were doing the debut albums, but like at the same time, when, when I was talking at the beginning, like, you know, all the grunge bands, grunge bands in quotation marks, hit me at the same time, starting with Nirvana. And Pearl Jam was kind of a quick follow-up. I think in the if you want an order, it probably went like Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, and then very last, Alice in Chains. But, um, you know, throughout, you know, growing up, it's like, okay, I'm going through my music phases. And, um, you know, Nirvana is falling out a little bit, still go back to it to this day but still it's falling out Allison Chains fell out and like Soundgarden and Pearl Jam are the ones that kept going and I was telling Ben before the podcast even started like you know I'm not in my grunge phase anymore but every time I hear songs like Alive or Jeremy or something like that I have to go back and I have to sing along with it because it's it's holds so much good memory it holds a lot of just it, it's just great songwriting and songs that stick around for generations um and, you know, even you and I, Andrew, who, you know, got into Pearl Jam long after their debut, um, you can still go back to those records and, and look at them fondly. And, uh, yeah, that's how I got into Pearl Jam is just through the grunge phase. Uh, sure. I guess I'll kind of follow up on that. Uh, actually, somewhat similar to Michael, except uh, I actually kind of started out with um, – I started out with Alice in Chains and Nirvana. We were talking about what we consider grunge. That's where I started out with. And and personally, if we're talking of the big four, I still would pick Alice in Chains as my favorite. And Soundgarden as well. Those are like my, I those are two of my favorite bands ever. And but you know, but because of that, Pearl Jam kind of came last for me in the whole thing. I don't know why. They just they were the ones that took me the longest to kind of give a shot to actually understand what they were doing. I wasn't terribly excited when I first heard their stuff um, for whatever reason. And I know that's crazy to think now, but um, but eventually like stuff like Alive and Even Blow, you know, got me interested and, and on I went. And um, while I still like, it's either going to be them or Nirvana, I would still like consider 
kind of at the bottom of that big four for me personally. In fact, hell, I kind of enjoyed Mud Honey stuff a little more than both of them anyways at this point. But um, I can still really go back and appreciate a lot of what Pearl Jam um, you know, can offer. And again, I think you know, 10 is still such a strong record and Versus is still such a strong record. Even if they don't have the most consistent discography, I still don't... I still think a lot of people have to appreciate what they've done over the years. Um, and just the talent that's in that band. I think I'm a huge fan of Mike McCready. I, I love, you know, Eddie Vedder's vocal work and his frontman work. And hell, I think he's underrated as a songwriter. I don't think people get talk about him enough and talking about great songwriters. I've really come to appreciate that over the years. And I'll talk a little more about that later, but I think he's just fantastic writing, uh, writing lyrics. Um, so I, I don't know if I share quite as much love. For Pearl Jam, but I mean, still, I think Pearl Jam still undeniably a great band, and uh, yeah, I, I, I still, and I, my appreciation for Grow has certainly grown exponentially over time. I mean, mine is highly personal, and it, it again, it fits. Um, okay, so if uh, memory serves, I'm pretty sure that uh, Ten Drops end of August 1991, which is this is perfect because I'm moving from freshman in high school to sophomore year in high school, which means of course, what an idiot am I? And again, how jacked up and stupid as I'll ever be in my life. Really in this moment, I have nothing down. Everything's fluid. I have nothing again, but rage hormones and, you know, seriously just rebel without a clue. Um, And I'm also a drummer. So I'm foolishly not listening to pretty much anything other than the rhythm section. And um, it's, it's, it's that, uh, you know, sort of, that's the start intro to why I go. And that resonates with me so much because that's not a prototypical rock beat. You know, it's, you know, hot, you know, open head. And it's just funky. That's wrong. That, that's not rock. Who, who does that? But it just, that transitions into this, this mean baseline from Jeff Amon. And you've got my attention. And I back in, I think Wygo is either three or four uh, on the, the, the record. And this is the time when cassette tapes are, that's where you are. So I'm like starting there and then I'm pushing back and I'm pushing forward up this and I'm burning up this, uh, this cassette tape. And I'm realizing that I'm listening to this thing over and over and over, and then I'm finding out that I'm in love. All right. I think without further ado, we can start getting into the list, unless you got anything else, Andrew. Just as a fair warning to all of our listeners, there will be some distraught topics will be brought up, you know, stuff that's not necessarily easy to listen to. It's not by design for us. It's just Pearl Jam doesn't write about happy stuff a lot. So, yeah. I mean, there are some dark subjects. So just as a fair warning there. But um, I was just going to ask, Michael, um, if you can just kind of explain what we're doing today. Because normally when we talk about bands, we usually do like a discography run through. That's not what we're doing today. Um, if you kind of want to just uh, share with us, Michael, what we're, what we're doing yeah. for Pearl Jam. Yeah. So how we're going to do this is uh, the three of us have picked out three Pearl Jam songs that we particularly have been drawn to over the years that we just cannot get out of our heads. And we're going to just discuss about um, where they were when they wrote that, um, why it's important to us and just give our general impressions of these three songs. Um, and that'll go by as a quick segment, and then directly after that, we'll go into uh, what everybody's kind of waiting for and our impressions on the, uh, on the new album, uh, Gigaton, coming from two guys that have been 
in the grunge as teenagers, uh, far past the 90s, and a guy who was there from the beginning. So uh, that's kind of right. what we're in line with for today. And yeah. uh, I think we should let the guests go first, right, Andrew? Unless you want, uh, we have yours. Well, I was just going to say, I don't know how quick the first segment's going to be. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see as it goes. But yes, uh, I, I would, mine's pretty, my first pick's a big handful. So uh, yes, let's let the guests go first. Fair. I, 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 I feel so old as you, uh, as you say that. And that, that, that's cool, because I am. Um, I could not pick between the singles outtakes. So uh, Pearl Jam 10, if you, uh, if you get a, um, I think it's a European uh, cut of the album, it's about 15 minutes longer. And two of the tracks that are on there end up in, um, in the, the, the movie Singles. And they're re-recordings of Breath and a Scream and a State of Love and Trust. So I'm cheating, and I'm putting uh, the re-recordings of State of Love and Trust and Breathe uh, as my first choice. Uh, one, because they are so much better, and I will, I will go to my grave on this one, hopefully, in about 100 years, um, with David Ruiz on the kit. And two, I mean, listen, I mean, the lyrics of, of State of Love and Trust are are just amazing. I mean, it, 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 the bit more up-tempo of the two, um, absolutely just, I mean, it, it, it's what it, it is. I mean, it's literally what it is. State of love and trust as I bust down the pretext. Sin still plays and preaches, but to have an empty core and the signs are passing, grip the wheel, sacrifice receiving the smell that's in my hands. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's passion. It's, it's, it's just, just, contained passion which is what eddie better does so well i mean if you if you can hear how that man can control his vocals while singing these things that he feels it's 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 just it's unbridled passion that's just barely tethered it's like thor trying to control the lightning as opposed to unleashing it Breathe in that same tenor. Uh, it's 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 this anthemic thing, and I'm I'm always drawn to um, it, it's this kind of weird, beautiful bridge that's going to the chorus where uh, it's along the lines of "Come here it comes, there it goes when it comes, where it goes, where it comes," and you can't see through the faith and the the notion of like you know as a father, I reflect upon this that. Um, you know, there, there's this lyric about, uh, you know, go out and see the world. And right now, especially that that's a hard thing to process because, you know, of course, we're all sitting in different rooms as opposed to a studio. And so much of the world right now is inaccessible that, you know, in my early college years in particular, that was life. It's just going out, see the world, do it all, you know, go off, get off your porch, go on and find you know all the stuff while you are young it it has that bruce springsteen sort of born to run aesthetic to it that in my youth that's that's definitive i i can't not think like that oh, 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 
So those two treks, and of course, I'm exposed to them first, not by the British import, which I couldn't afford, but uh, the single soundtrack. And I, I burned that thing up like nobody's business. I still have that uh, cassette tape. It doesn't work, but I'm not getting rid of it. Um, second, different phase of my life. And more, most importantly to me, uh, reminding me of who I am, not now, but who I was probably, uh, you know, just outside of college when I got married. Hail, hail. Um, you know, I, uh, today's Mike McCready's birthday. I, I think I forgot to mention that, but, you know, the, I don't know when this is coming out, but, you know, the <clears throat> 6th of April is guitarist Mike McCready's birthday. And um, there's no... There's no solo on Hail Hail. There's not many solos on uh, No Code where this comes from. But this is track two. This is the jam spot. This is where you put your songs like Even Flow and Hail Hail and uh, you know a host of other things, uh, Mind Your Manners, all these you know more punky tunes. And this one again, it's uh, it's about love. And if you again, you I mean the driving drums of Jack Irons. Again, just so barely contained. And he's a jazz drummer that's in a rock band, and it's taking everything he can to just keep that thing at a rock beat. And he does it beautifully with about three cymbals and three drums ish. Um, but it's Eddie's lyrics. There's there's this there's this beautiful section where he says, "Are you woman enough to be my man, bandaged hand in hand?" That has never left me it never will because it speaks it speaks to so much in just a couplet mm -hmm. and it's 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 just it's it's everything there it's the social consciousness it's about being a good you know friend and lover and spouse it's 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 about being better Uh, I'm cheating one more time. Uh, it's uh, it's two songs that are too powerful for me. Um, that's the only way I can say it. I'm I'm not going to read or cite or look at these lyrics. I'm, I might for nothing, man. Um, but it's the songs that are too much for me. Even thinking about them, they're too much. Um, Man of the Hour come is from the soundtrack to Big Fish. Um, this this beautiful Tim Burton movie. Uh, with Ewan McGregor and Albert Finney uh, coming to grips with uh, the loss of the father, Albert Finney, who had these this larger-than-life character. And they wrote this song for um, Man of the Hour, and it's... My, my own grandfather died right around the time when this came out, and it was, you know, I, that, that was devastating for me. I, I don't... I, not unlike any better talk about seeing too many things. I didn't have a dad either. So my grandfather was ostensibly my father figure. And it, it defined in many ways the, the feelings of loss, regret, and overwhelming emotions that were in there. And I did not have the capability. I, I'm watching it in the theater with my friends and I'm, I'm bawling my eyes out. And it's a good movie, but it's a better song. 
Um, it's, it's high and level great for me. It's, it's one of those things where you just, you, you can't, um, it, the opening, uh, the opening, uh, stands, well, stands, it's actually against poetry. Tidal waves don't beg for forgiveness, crashing on their way. Father, he enjoyed collisions and others walked away. A snowflake falls in May. And the doors are open now as the bells are ringing out because the man of the hour is taking his final bow and goodbye for now. I can't, uh, I can't, I can't do it without tearing up thinking about it. And that's why I know it's powerful because it, it's more than I can do. Nothing Man from Vitology, a really stupid, uneven album. You know, they're losing a drummer, they're gaining a drummer. Half of it's perfect, half of it's filler, like three-fifths uh, perfect, and then, you know, a long bit of filler. Uh, I used to, when both my daughters were uh, small and they didn't want to go to bed, you sing to them. And... Uh, when it's late, you know, one, two in the morning or whenever you sing what you have and ask me why nothing man jumped in there. It's easy. It's about the loss of control. It's about not having what you need and doing what you can. Nothing man begins something along the lines of once divided, nothing left to subtract. Some words when spoken can't be taken back. He walks on his own with thoughts he can't help thinking with futures above, but in the past he's slow and sinking. And he caught a bolt of lightning and he cursed the day he let it go with the, uh, the chorus sitting in there. And I'd sing that to my kids until they fell asleep. And I will not do it now because <laughs> you're not my children. Um, but that song, <laughs> I'm singing it in desperation, but it's so sweet and melodic. And it has so much comfort underpinning or counterpointing the music that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to sing to my kids and they're, they're getting, they're falling asleep, hopefully out of exhaustion or boredom with me. But for me, it's, it's just the same way. And that's where I felt that both of those songs for me are about love, just in different manners, loss and gain. But of course, somewhat ironically with the other one, these two are the most personal songs in here for me because they're connected to human beings that are either not with me or who I'm watching become new human beings, mm. particularly with my kids, my oldest, who's 10, going on 23, uh, ostensibly has already become a new little human, just like that. And right now, as we're talking, she's being forced into maturity even more, and that song hits me. Walks 
you know, it hits me like a baseball bat in the face. Where thoughts he can't help thinking, futures above, but in the past he's slow and sinking. Got a bolt of lightning, curse the day he let it go. As we talk about this with COVID-19 going around, there is nothing we can do except hide and wait. And that song, when you all asked me to think of three, that was the first one that popped in there. And it, it hurts, but that's what beautiful things can do. They make you feel just not always what you want. Round of applause. That was not bad, but <laughs> I mean, come on, do we get our list can't top that? But uh, yeah, but um, well, Michael, do you have any comments on <laughs> the songs that he included first? I mean, Nothing Man for sure was was going to be in mind if you didn't include it first. I absolutely fell in love with that song pretty early on, and this the singles uh, soundtrack. I'm so glad you put that in there because I've never seen that movie. Oh. But that, that soundtrack has just appeared randomly throughout my life. Um, <laughs> so many good songs on there. That's one you and I need to watch together, Andrew. That that's that seems like yeah. something to do. Yeah, yeah, no, man. You, I, you do yourself a favor to do it. It's it's just wonderful. I, but no, I, I loved the, the singles songs as well. I think um, Breathe is a great mid-tempo jam from from Pearl Jam. I wasn't, I didn't know this stuff. Do I knew state of love and trust from their, uh, unplugged, um, concert. I knew, I knew it from that, but I wasn't familiar with breathe. Um, that was a good one. Um, and yeah, man, of, uh, man of the hour is great. Um, it's just a wonderful heartbreaking ballad. I think Eddie Vedder puts in a really good vocal performance there and nothing, man. I think it's just an all time classic breakup song. I mean, it is one of the best. I mean, it's, it's certainly on the, not like an angry breakup song, of course. It's certainly on a sorrowful, you know, questioning kind of breakup song. And I think it's just fantastic at what it does. So I think that's just a great choice as well. All right. You, I think you should go next, Andrew. Yeah. So um, I cheated as well a little bit. And um, I, um, for at least, because one of my choices actually has three songs in it. Because originally I was just going to have a, a live for my first pick, but then I rem quickly remembered, oh wait, I can't talk about Alive without also talking about Once and Footsteps. And at the very least, I'm pretty sure Joe knows where I'm going with this, yeah. but um, uh, if I don't know, Michael, if you're familiar with the, uh, the Mom and Son trilogy at all, when it comes to, uh, oh great, I can explain this now. Uh, so again, this is where I'm kind of talking about this, that dark subject matter that we brought up before. Um, so before I even start talking, though, I will say Live is one of my, like I said, it's one of my favorite songs ever. Um, I, it's one of the best riffs, I will argue, ever in rock music. I think Live is just so iconic in that sense. Um, the brief period I did try learning how to play guitar, I, for whatever reason, tried to tackle this riff. And it has just that crazy <laughs> slide up on that fret, man. And I was just like, 
ah, what am I doing? But um, it, it, it's such a it's such a killer riff, and that that last two minutes, just the the big jam session that they have at the end of the song, is the the reason I want to see Pearl Jam live one day. It's just to have a chance to see that live. But um, beyond the music, um, lyrically is kind of where a lot of the interest of the song still comes for me in the sense that it, it kind of ties this one giant narrative through these three songs. Alive is the first chapter in that where um, the first part of the song is autobiographical actually, because it, 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 it's through the eyes of this, this uh, son, uh, this, this, this guy who learns that the dad that he thought it was his dad actually wasn't his dad. It was actually yeah. his real dad died um, short uh, shortly before, uh, died before, when he was real young. He doesn't remember his actual dad and kind of lied to his whole life in a sense. Sure. That was that part actually happened to Eddie Vedder. Um, that actually something that he experienced as a young boy, which is really unfortunate. And the part I, for the love of everything that's good and holy in this universe that isn't autobiographical is comes in this next few verses where the mother who is still grieving from the loss of her husband many years ago forces her son to have the narrator, her son to have sex with her because the son looks a lot like her dad. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's forced incest. That's what a life's about. Um, did you know that Michael? <laughs> no idea. Yeah. Um, that kind of shows it, doesn't it? Um, in fact, actually the whole motif you know, oh, I'm still alive. The chorus. Actually, he sings it as a curse. The narrator is singing that as a curse. Like he, instead of the uplifting chorus that a lot of people think it is. In fact, actually, that's something Eddie Vedder has spoken about in interviews before that he struggled with because like people aren't understanding that it's what it's about. And, um, you know, everyone thinks it's such a happy thing, but no, um, it's not what it was. And eventually he reconciled and he said they changed it. They've kind of the meaning for it for the better. Yeah, that's kind of the first part of that, which then leads into Once, which actually was the B-side for, te- uh, for, for the Alive single and opens the album 10. And the, 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 the narrator now, um, after his experiences with his mother, uh, there's no nice, nice way of saying it, now leads the life of a serial killer and goes around murdering prostitutes because of the horrors that he's, he's experienced in the past. Uh, which really, which again, I mean, it's a horrifying subject, but I think again, the narrative is told very well here, and the the song fits the the, the atmosphere of the song is just so dark and twisted and just 
ah, you know, it just fits the the motif perfectly. In fact, it, in a sick, twisted way, it's almost hard not to feel bad for it for the narrator because, again, of his past traumas and by the fact that, um, I mean, even the chorus, like Eddie Vedder just sells this thing over the top. He's just basically wailing at the top of his song. Oh, once upon a time, I wish I could just control myself. You know, would speak in the narrative of this killer. And then leads to Footsteps, which was the B-side to Jeremy, and which did not appear on the actual record. That kind of closes off the trilogy where the, the, the narrator is now sitting on death row. He's awaiting his uh, uh, execution for all the crimes he's committed. He's clearly gone insane at this point. There's even reference of him possibly being a cutter now. And he blames everything that's happened in his life, all the crimes he did on his mother. All over my arms One for each day Since I fell apart Oh dear What I had to do If there was a reason It was you Um, yeah, so how that's much of all that is the true? whole Monoson trilogy. Um, is, and, is that like is that like confirmed? Yeah, I mean, uh, at the very least, it's. I mean, it's been canon so long as I can remember, going back twenty twenty five years. Uh, I mean, th- those are every one of those songs. The footsteps doesn't appear on a ten, yeah. but uh, I'm pretty sure that they've been playing that set as such forever, and yeah. It, yeah, I mean, That's yeah, <laughs> it's partially autobiographical, partially not. Yeah, it, it's. I, I again, I, and I don't, I don't know if I said this on on the episode. We might have talked about this before we started, but yeah, ten is in. It's far. I would say as far as far as mainstream music goes. I mean, if you go to any underground like black metal band, there's a bunch of screwed up lyrics in there, I'm sure. But if we're talking strictly mainstream records, it's that. Dirt and perhaps uh, the downward spiral by Nine Inch Nails. Um, I think Ten belongs in the, some of the darkest, twisted records you'll ever find, as far as again mainstream music goes. And yeah, I mean that this whole saga that's told through, that's told on this album, this mini story, this mini narrative, 
that's told on this record um, is it's there. A lot of people don't know about it as, as you showed Michael. And I mean, Eddie Vedder has confirmed what this, what this was about in interviews. And yeah, it, it, it is disheartening and almost like uncomfortable to hear, of course, because it is such a just a really dark tale that he tells here. But I, I don't just talk about this just for the sake of doing it. I think um, the, the reason I, I say it is because I think this shows off Eddie Vedder's great narrative lyrical writing. I, yeah. Whenever we talk about great, you know, great lyricists as far as narratives go. I mean, we hear Johnny Cash thrown in there a lot. We hear Bruce Springsteen, and I think rightfully so. I think those guys are very great at telling narratives. I don't think Eddie Vedder's brought enough, enough in there, and I think kind of with the next song, my next pick as well, he kind of tells that as, he, he displays that abilities as well. He's just great at laying out these characters, even if, they don't, even if he doesn't give any of them names. He's, he, he's great at just creating these interesting scenarios and stories, and then selling it with his great abilities as a frontman and as a vocalist. I think she's just fantastic at telling stories. So that's why I included that. Michael, do you have anything else to say to this? Because you seem pretty No, I'm, I'm going to do my own research on that, though, and I'm so glad we have Joe here to con confirm all these things for me. Cause that is Dude, he's, he's said this in interviews. Anybody has said you this know what? I didn't even realize it, and I thought because I was trying to place exactly how far back that goes, if memory serves and i was trying to confirm it while uh, we were talking i'm pretty sure on that initial tape uh of music that uh vetter sends out to yes, see right. in california it's all set up because part of that gets flicked over to mother love bone and becomes a different song and the other part becomes footsteps mm -hmm. but they don't place that on 10 that becomes a, a B single if I remember correct or B side, forgive me. And, uh, that's, that's been there the entirety of the time. I mean, this is a young, probably at the time, 24, 25 year old Eddie Vedder writing about younger guy. I mean, we're, you know, again, Eddie Vedder's now 55, 56, something like that. Mm -hmm. This is a younger significant. I mean, I we used, or, uh, I use the term edge Lord, but this is significantly edgier stuff where he takes on persona to go out and do, do what poets do all the time a part of its autobiographical yeah but i mean it's it's there it's meant to be it's meant to be heard complete yeah. um, and if you think about it uh a lot of the bands that he really grew up listening to did concept albums and that's same basic concept you take a story you run it through an entire album well he just did a, a trio of songs and yeah, I mean, it's dark as hell, but <laughs> that's the point. Right. I mean, that again, that's kind of the whole, that was pretty much the whole record except for Oceans, which I think is one of the biggest sore thumbs in all of music on any record. Yeah, I mean, it's everything on that record is, yeah, there's some dark kind of twisted background to it in some way, which, again, I mean, take it for what you will. Personally, I'm, I, I, I think... They handle all the subjects that they talk about on the record extremely well, extremely delicately and appropriately. And I think that's why it works. All the stuff works on there. And again, I think Eddie Vedder is really great at coming up with these interesting narratives. And I'll go through my next two picks really quickly because I spent a long time on that. But um, then there comes Elderly Woman or Elderly Woman Behind the Counter in a Small Town. God, I think we have Eddie Vedder to blame for all these really obnoxious early to mid-2000s emo bands that tried to make... <laughs> yeah. Put entire 
entire epitaphs essentially as their song titles and you never can remember them. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, uh, I, if, you know, we talked about Nothing Man earlier and I know Versus also has Daughter, which I think people talk about a little bit more than this song. Personally for me, if I'm going to pick my favorite Pearl Jam ballad, it's going to be this one because I just love the lyrics. Again, better kind of creates this character. You don't really know her name, but she's an elderly woman behind the counter of a small town. You, you get it. This is woman who's a bartender in this small town at the middle of wherever. And, uh, and a gentleman walks in. He looks familiar. Um, she, her memory's not that great because she's, you know, she's getting up in years and she's just trying to put her, um, put a face to a name to a face. And she finally realizes who it is. Um, she wants to scream out and say hello to him, but for whatever reason, she doesn't. Um, on the face of it, it can kind of seem like a, a happy song because it's... It's uplifting. Because it's, oh, it's a woman. It, it sounds yeah. uplifting. The woman who, who sees the guy, um, you know, in her... Like, it, it sounds like, oh, she sees a person you haven't seen in a while. How great. But actually, there's a... I, I, and again, this is why I think the brilliance of this of the song is there's this dark... This is kind of more depressing undertone throughout it. It's this oh, woman yeah. who, I mean, this guy, whoever he is, maybe they were high school sweethearts, you don't know. I mean, you can kind of fill in what you want there. But this guy clearly went away from the small town, did well for himself, got to see the world. This woman who may have wanted to, do, who, who alluded that wanted to do something like that, but never did. She kind of got sucked into the small town, this small life. She never really it does, never really does get to leave. And so, she just kind of like fades away. I mean, she's, she's been put on herself, which was a line, I think, in the song as well. Um, and it, I think it's really interesting to me because it's so, again, as someone who lives in the suburbs, it's, it's, I think a lot of us just kind of comes from, you know, bigger towns, bigger cities. It's very easy to forget about people like this because there are so many tiny towns across this entire country that you've never even heard of, that you'll probably never even hear of. And if you hear a name, you'll probably forget it really quickly. You know, it's not like Chicago. That's just a universally known place. And I think just the wonder, it's just sun so well because I've, I, I interned in a small town this sum, last summer. Um, you know, I, I interned in a small county where it does kind of feel like you're in a bubble there sometimes. And I'm not knocking people who live, live in those environments from people who live there their entire lives and are happy with it. Some people aren't. And I think that's what, Eddie Vedder was highlighting and I think it's just done so well to tell this tale that can be uplifting but also the, the, I think the overall message is pretty depressing and he does it kind of subtly and it's just I, again I just think it's a hauntingly beautiful song in that way It's hard when you're stuck up on the shelf By not changing at all Small town predicts my fate Perhaps that's what no one wants to see I just want to scream Hello
I mean, one of the genius moments of that song, and you you alluded to it. Um, it's you know he, he one of the things that he does is so perfectly. He, he'll switch into a female voice or whatever have you. Not a big deal. Uh, you know, he's just you know he intones. I just want to scream hello, and my God, it's been so long, and I never dreamed and you'd return, but now here you are, and here I am, and this old yeah. woman. It's just repeated over and over. Hearts and thoughts, they fade, fade away. And it just gets softer and softer and softer. I mean, it, I'm not saying it's a metaphor for Alzheimer's. I'm not saying it's a metaphor for dementia or slipping away. But it's, it, it's, it's I don't want to say it's dark. I want to say it's life. It's, not. it's, it, it's, it's just, the, it's reality. It's I mean, reality, very depressing reality. Yeah, well, I mean. It, it's what we are. I mean, it, as you say, it's the elderly woman sitting behind the counter in a small town and that's her life. And there's a moment and it's, a, it, it's, we talk about senior moments and uh, you know, some of us have them in our forties. Um, but realistically, yeah, that's how it is. They, things fade and they pop back in then they fade and they fade and they fade. And at the end, it's just literally, it's literally Dave Eversey's just tickling the hi-hat just with the tips and Eddie just just above a whisper saying, "Hearts and thoughts they fade." The song fades away. I mean, it does, and just I think like it's just people from our past, and it's it's beautiful and it's horrifyingly, as you say. I mean, it's it's depressing when you're young or when you're old because you're staring at the face of it, and that's life. I mean, that's what the band does. They they confront you with reality, and they make you look at it, and it's beautiful and horrible at the same time yeah. i mean that's mm, you know that, that that that's that's the spicy salsa man mm-hmm. anything to comment on that michael no man you can keep on going i i'll and make this, this next one though because uh lightning bolt that's an album that yeah it's lightning bolt i want to make sure at least get something a little newer in there because i think lightning bolt was a surprisingly strong record and uh this is the first or i think it was the first single off of that record uh we have minor manners um this again you know me i i'm a punk guy through and through that's what i am and this is pop except for maybe one of your picks michael this is possibly their punkiest song i love this track so much and um and again though it's pearl jam so you can't not have a kind of you know more more deeper somewhat darker subjects in here without it um man your manners well i i don't think i've been i don't think i have I haven't been shy in this podcast saying I'm not really a religious man. I don't really, I, I, I can, I'm an atheist. That's what I consider myself. I don't really like the idea of organized religion and clearly Eddie Vedder does not either. Um, it's just, just a, just a giant brilliant takedown on organized religion. There's even like references to the, the Catholic priest scandal in the church. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a couple like, yeah, kind of gross moments there. But again, I think it's all done to make a really powerful statement. And I think that does. And it's also just an awesome fucking song because it's just so fast, quick, and punchy. Yeah, I think it's easily one of the best songs in that, in that album.
I was listening to uh, your list, Andrew, in the car. I was like, oh, there's the Andrew song. There's there's the there's the punky jam that I was waiting for. Yeah. yeah this was a good track. No, I, I think it's a great track. And I think it's one of their, I guess, I, I'd say one of the more underappreciated songs. I think it's just, I, again, I think it's just a really powerful, powerful message with just, again, a really fast-paced song, which I don't think they do enough of. I wish they, <laughs> they do a little bit more songs like these, but again, that's not really what they are, so. Hey, but you know what? To be fair, I mean, number one, that Mike McCready riff, I mean, it, it's a bit of a takeoff of like late 70s, early uh, 80s, uh, new wave and late punk, but I mean, that is all, that that is just all of him driving that track, and you know, that is, that is so, you're, you're right. I mean, it's, you, you want to hear Mike McCready just do that every album. And of course they don't want to, but, but he can, and you want more, which I mean, I know in their fifties, but I mean, I hope they can get an album out quicker than at seven years. Cause I want to hear, I want, I want to, I want a hard punk album out of them. <laughs> I mean, I want something that was kind of like backspacer for the first five tracks to pull the fixer out. And just, I want to hear McCready open up that guitar a lot stone too, but, McCready's lead and with good reason. Yeah, that's a great segue because I my first track was uh, actually from Backspacer and it's not the front side of Backspacer, which I'm a huge fan of because I love that album too. I think it's incredibly underrated. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, it does such a great job of mixing like that old style Pearl Jam that we wanted, but also introducing a lot of new ideas. And one of those new ideas was um, this kind of acoustic folk sound that you're getting on uh, Just Breathe. And I'll have an opportunity later, hopefully, in the recommendation section to talk about how much I love solo Eddie Vedder acoustic stuff. Oh my God, it's so good. And like Just Breathe was like the first song I heard that led me into uh, tons of other songs that uh, kind of copied that, that, uh, that blueprint. But um, incredibly somber, but also just, uh, you know, it, it shows the band's ability to put an orchestration together. Um, there's some strings in it. Uh, you know, it, it eventually evolves into a climax, but it takes its time, um, which I appreciate it. And, and, you know, I'll always look back on this track as, uh, you know, Pearl Jam setting themselves apart because, you know, we were, we were trying to define grunge earlier and we're talking about how, um, you know, Nirvana took on the punk thing a little more. Uh, Alice in Chains took on the metal thing a little more. Pearl Jam takes on some folk influences. And, you know, yeah. you, when you listen to songs like this, you start to see it more and more, even throughout their early work. And I, and I love how they blended folk with it. Practice on my sins, never gonna let me win. Under everything, just another human being oh. Yeah, I don't wanna hurt There's so much in this world to make me believe Stay with me Oh, all I see Did I say that I need
I like the idea of going full gear, Michael. I really did. Honestly, I think this would have been a great track. The only thing, and this is going to possibly be a sin for me to say, I this is one I'm just not a fan of. And that's only because I think of Eddie Vedder's vocals. I do not like his performance on this. It's just those weird vocal inflections he had with that melody. I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah. he just really – it. I don't know. I think he was trying too hard. It almost sounded like he was trying too hard on this. I don't know if either of you two understand what I'm talking about. He has that weird- I know exactly what you're talking about because this is where I get sacrilegious. I don't disagree with you. Mm-hmm. There's only one problem. Just Breathe is a great song, especially when Willie Nelson does it so much better than Pearl Jam does it. Mm-hmm. And um, I, Listen, Eddie Vedder is one of the greatest vocalists with the greatest control of instrument that I've ever heard in almost any genre, but Willie's better, 100%, not even a question. It's, he does it so much cleaner, so much better, and at a late stage moment in his career came up with a cover, but you know what? Pearl Jam has so many amazing covers, it's fair. And yeah, I agree with you. Just Breathe is one of the, the most important songs they've made in the last 20 years, especially since you know the Redhead Stranger went and made it that way. So yeah, Just Breathe, that was my number three pick. Number two was Spin the Black Circle, which is following up uh, on another insanely fast, punky Pearl Jam song. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. This song is so good. It's um, fucking awesome. It really yeah. is. I, I, I can't think of a song that better ca- encapsulates the feeling you get when you listen to just good music. I mean, I got the record player right <laughs> behind me, Spin the Black Circle. I mean, that's what it is. It's listening to records, um, at least on a face level. I haven't gone really into it, and... I'm I'm going to keep it that way because you know all I get from this song is pure joy and pure energy and uh you know this this is the kind of songs that I want to listen to when I go see Pearl Jam live hopefully one day Spin the Black Circle really kisses right at the edge of uh, Mind Your Manners. They're, you know, they're siblings. Like, you know, brother is with daughter is with, um, oh, bugger, I forget the other one now in the, that particular set of trilogy, probably yeah. Jeremy. Um, but realistically speaking, it's, it's just, it's punk. And it's, or it's organized punk, which is a sin. But it is, and it's great. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have a great deal of depth. Half of the song is just saying spin, spin. Yeah, airs. It's wonderful. Right. You can mosh to it, which is what you're supposed to do. Responsibly. I wanted to get this one. Uh, that's why I put my list so, together so early, Andrew, because I was worried you were going to take this before I did. But yeah, "Spin the Black Circle" is an epic song. <laughs> but and then and then the last song I have on here is is also from Ten. Calling back from there, um, but the Ten Redux because you know we're talking about production before this start, uh, Joe and I, and like Brennan O'Brien makes the albums that follow 10 and when he reduxed uh 10 you know a lot of people had criticisms of it because it took away the muddiness and the murkiness that made um 
I think 10 fall into the grunge category, aside from those, uh, those lyrics that we were talking about. And, but in all, when you're looking back and you're trying to figure out what Pearl Jam's supposed to be, those songs are supposed to soar. And Garden is my favorite track off of 10. Um, and it's supposed to soar when you hear that chorus, you know? And it's supposed to give you some, a sense of melancholy, but also like a sense of hope. And when Brendan O'Brien mixes it, he brightens up the guitars a little bit. Brendan yeah. brings Eddie's vocals a little bit more to the forefront, which I appreciated. Um, and, and as a drummer, you might be cr- criticizing what he did to the rhythm section on that record. No? Not um, at all? Okay. So, uh, to be I, honest I thought the you, drums were lower. So, no, I hear what you're saying, and I completely see your point. But, no, there's a place for drums, and we keep time. Okay. Sometimes we do other things, but mostly we keep time. We, we hide transitions and we go boom, tap, boom, tap. And that's, that's our place. And that's okay. When you have a maestro, you let the maestro play. Sure. But yeah, uh, I mean, you basically summed it up on how I feel about this remix of such a classic album. I think it does it justice. And I may be in a minority there, but it, you know, it's songs like Garden where you see the real potential of that album being reached and songs like that specifically. would be my list um so, so, do i have to make a couple comments in your stuff sure sure um the garden one was interesting because i was like curious like why is he uh because because i would i guess i i'm not really one for like remi- like remix remixes remasters i tend not to try to focus on it unless it's an album desperately needs it i never would have considered 10 honestly one that needed it so i was actually kind of curious as to why you focused in on the remix. So I listened to both versions of Garden back and forth. Um, personally, I'm, I'm going to go with the original. I mean, like, that's just me. I like that dirtier, as you said, that kind of grungy, like, grungier kind of mix that was on the original. And Garden's one of my favorite tracks off that record, too. So first of all, I definitely share that sentiment. I always love this track. But I can definitely see why you also like the... The, the new one though it's a little, it's punchier than the original because of it you can definitely make out parts certain like vocal parts certain like guitar you know parts especially in the intro um you know a lot a lot easier and i think i think there definitely are good aspects to it but preferably i'm i i, I mean 10 is one of those records that i'm just like i'm used to the original i yeah. really don't see much need for changing but that's just me you know i think you had some great picks michael yeah um, and without further ado i guess uh We've been already talking for a while, so let's just jump right into it. Uh, Gigaton was released, was it this past Friday, or was it the... It's been a while. March 20th, March 20th. Hmm. So it's been roughly a week or two since it's been out. Um, so, uh, I kind of want to hear what you guys have to think of it, though, because I think me and Michael were pretty concerned off that first <laughs> single going into it. Really? Um, 
Yeah. I might we... jump in here too, by the way, guys. <laughs> okay, yeah, let Ben talk for a second. <laughs> I, I, um, we, when Michael and I were hanging out before, I think our, our last episode we recorded at CMU or maybe the one before that. And, um, we, I, I just saw somewhere that a new Pearl Jam song had come out and I started playing it and Michael didn't believe me that it was Pearl Jam. <laughs> And then we then we took it on the show, and I just listened to you guys trash it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But I, I didn't believe that it was Pearl Jam either when they first played it. You're kidding me. But honestly, no, it sounded like Eddie Vedder was um, headlining the Electric Forest or something. It was. When did David Byrne start producing for Pearl Jam? You know? Oh, I've heard so many people compare that to the Talking Heads. That's not what I got when I first heard that song. But I can pull up like a half dozen. And to be honest with you, if you listen to um, the opening, there's a Breeders track. Uh, it's the only one people popularly know. But if you listen to the opening bass line of that. Of Cannonball? Uh, say again. Yeah, Cannonball. If you listen to the opening bass line of that, and then you listen to, um, and I got to keep my alignment together, who played what, because... Stone's playing bass and uh, Amit's playing the synth and McCready's trying deliberately to sound like a drum machine and McCready's McCready. It's the, it's how you know it's a Pearl Jam song. And I, I can get a bunch of different flavors out of that. But I mean, I heard that first thing drop and I, I had a feeling it was Pearl Jam because it was Bill Simmons podcast. And he uh, he's like, and now new music. And you hear that. And you're just like, you know, that half-assed sounds like Pearl Jam, but that's insane. That That's not Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam doesn't use synthesizers. <laughs> and then you hear, uh, when they finally put McCready's, you know, when you, you, they, they did those 20-second drops, and they finally put the guitar part in. And I'm like, oh, that's Pearl Jam. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, I love it. It's so, it's so fucked up. I mean, I, again, there's a time and a place to use the F-bomb. That's so it. And it, it reminds me of those moments like when, you know, Who You Are dropped and we're like, that's not Pearl Jam. Or when Do The Evolution dropped, like, that's not Pearl Jam. And we hadn't had one of those in the 2000s, at least not a really good one. I mean, Pearl Jam sounded like middle-aged Pearl Jam. But that reminded me of when Pearl Jam said, eh, watch this. You're not going to know what this is, but we're going to have a paradigm shift right now. And here, we're going to change instruments. We're going to turn Matt into a drum machine because he really wants to try it. By the way, that shows the musicality of that man. That is a complicated set of time signatures going on there. And there's an even more complicated one that is bad, but that one's not. Uh, and I, I, it was such a, such a breath of fresh air. I mean, I had to listen to it and listen to it and listen to it and listen to it. And I wasn't studying it. I was just listening to it because it wasn't what I was accustomed to, but that didn't make it bad. It's not, it's, 
it's some it, it's a jacked up stew and i'm here for it i mean i hate when bands get boring even when you know they rock out nobody wants a band to just sound like they have for the past 30 years yeah that's know? a good point and that's what i got from the whole album like they're trying something new which i'm always yeah. going to recommend for that <laughs> You know, it could have been an Eddie Vedder solo yeah. album for the back half, but I mean... Yeah, but like, you know, synthesizers and Pearl Jam, that's never something I thought I'd hear. But, you know, it took a few songs, but eventually I started to get used to it. Um, and, you know, I think they're trying to, you know, I think you 2 did this too, where it's like they're trying to introduce some experimentation really late in the career, um, which I'm going to, you know, I'll commend that. Uh, but as far as Dance of the Clairvoyants go, it, I I couldn't help but get annoyed every time I heard it. I couldn't reach the the point you were at, Joe, where it's like, yeah, um, you know, I'm gonna I I understand what they're trying to do because I I truly don't know if they knew what they were trying to do. Well, I mean, it's, if you believe how they record it, mm-hmm. I mean, literally, because okay, they're they're back at they're like literally popping into the studio. I know and, it was, yeah, over a couple of years, a few years. And literally, you know, uh, what is it? Cameron is messing with a drum machine and he just drops you know, a beat. And I, I think as it goes, uh, Amit comes in and he just, or no, I'm sorry. Um, Stone comes in and throws that bass line and Amit comes in and just drops a little piece, drops that little synth piece. And then McCready comes in and with three notes, basically defines the structure of it. And then they're like, hey, that's a song. And then Vetter comes in with this wild set of nonsense. And it is nonsense, and I love it. I mean, I mean, I know the girls want to dance away their circumstance. I know the boys want to grow their dicks and fix and fire things. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? <laughs> I mean, and you could say that a lot for Eddie Vetter sometime, but there's usually a set of, you know, anecdotal, you know, logic going on there, but, you know, I, I I know the boys want to grow their dicks, gotcha, and fix, okay, and fire things or file things. I can't remember which one. I think it's file things. Mm-hmm. Like that's a commentary on a bunch of stuff, and I'm not sure what it is. But now I'm going to get back into 1991 research mode. I'm like, hey, I'm a kid again. I love it, mm. even if it's weird. Okay, so I, I'm going to agree with my. I'm at the very least on dance of the clairvoyance, Michael. I'm going to agree with you. I. I still like like here's the thing I actually didn't mind the synthesizer stuff actually I think that's a nice little bit of evolution from um and I I think the only time they jumped the gun on that and they did it pretty hard was on Dance with Clairvoyance though that's a, it was a bad single I I don't oh. it was I'm sorry <laughs> it's just it, it, just, it just sounds I like Eddie Vedder is that person music dude. It sounds like Eddie Vedder got high in ecstasy and went to a rave by himself. Like it's it's bad. It's it's not good. God bless him. Yeah, man. <laughs> Please. It's not. No. Well, don't, no, no drugs, kids. But if you're Eddie Vedder, do do a couple drugs. <laughs> Come back with something fresh. No, that's I how we lost two of the other. Bi- that's how we lost two of the other big grunge. Uh, Frontman, he's the only one left. We need to keep him healthy. I know, um, but you put Eddie Better in like a bubble. All we're gonna get, but is, no, uh, but we're gonna get well. music. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Anyways, but I I gotta say the record was actually kind of a pleasant surprise. I was really nervous after hearing that first single. I was like, oh, oh, what are we gonna get ourselves into? Actually, I found myself rather enjoying most of it. Um, I think it tails off with like the last. 
apart from retrograde i think retrograde is a pretty good pretty good song but beyond that i think it kind of tails off at the end i uh, don't like buckle up very much but uh take the long way i think it's a great song um seven o'clock as long as it is i kind of like and uh super blood wolf moon also a great track i think there's some really strong stuff on here um better than what i expected but yeah i think they need to if they want to continue trying this sound need to iron out quite a few kinks and um that's just my take though I'm going to defer to Ben because I know you were chomping at the bit on that, man. Okay. Uh, so it was one of those things where I'm going to bring up my favorite Beatle right now, Paul McCartney. This is his, I'm holding it up to the camera. No one can see it. This is his second complete solo album, McCartney Which has two, the worst Christmas song of all which time. Which came out there. in 1980. No, that's a non-album <laughs> single. Um, oh, sorry. The, the, the second track on here is called Temporary Secretary. And I first heard it and I said, Ew, what, what is that? There's like this repeating synth line that goes throughout the whole thing that's super annoying. Uh, his vocals are really annoying. Like everything's just really annoying. And I didn't really feel that as much with the Pearl Jam song. But it, with Temporary Secretary, it's one of those songs where I heard it and I said, this is horrible. And then I couldn't stop listening to it. That's kind of how I was with Dance of the Clairvoyance. And I love it, honestly. I think like I have very minimal knowledge of pearl jam and it's probably not true after this episode like i really like a lot of the songs we heard today but until this moment that was my favorite pearl jam song <laughs> <laughs> i cannot believe someone actually got into pearl jam to dance the clairvoyance i refuse to believe that actually happened <laughs> but that, that just goes to show you they can transcend generations right joe i would uh, completely agree that listen 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 it's them getting weird again but then, like you say, that second half of the album happens, and it's Eddie. It's Eddie with his guitar. I don't know why Eddie features as the lead guitar so much on this record, but he is. And Eddie has three or four go-to movements with his, uh, you know, with his guitar. That's it. When you have Stone and, and McCready right there, you, you don't bring your third guitar up into the front, but here we are. There's, for me, it's like this. If you look over the last 20 years, if you got five solid tracks and three burners from Pearl Jam, you had ostensibly, you know, if we're gonna, let's use the Rolling Stone system, like a four out of five star record. Mm -hmm. This thing is consistent all through. And, you know, Super Blood Wolf Moon, it's great. It's nonsense. It's lycanthropy, whatever. Dance the Clairvoyance is weird as hell, and I'm there for it. Quick Escape is straight Zeppelin. I mean, uh, th that is a, a different sound in a very familiar tempo. And it's like, nice, nice. I'm even cool with those weird camera and just whatever fills.
step down for our right, step it back up for seven o'clock, never destination, take the long way, begin. I don't know what, I agree. I don't know what buckle up is. It's buckle up for what? I Okay. Um, but comes then goes is lovely retrograde, also lovely. Yeah, because I want to switch to a lyrical conversation here for a second uh, in regards to Gigaton, because I think there, there's some really, really strong themes on this album. And like I've seen yeah. over the past, like, five years or so um i've seen a lot of heat coming towards uh eddie vetter and and their social medias and things like that when it comes to them um you know what they promote as a band you know they're taking hits and you know doing a democratic statement from a pretty tasteful perspective i think they're not putting it right out there like so many bands have already failed to do you know, a couple of lyrics in there that kind of contradict that. <laughs> Why do you say so? That? I think there's a prison that gets name dropped a couple times that maybe yeah. a little bit more overt than uh, otherwise. But you're also hiding behind this like spacey instrumentation, so you're you're not. It's not like a punk album where it's it, it's straight up throwing out these statements, and it's going to get eaten up by anybody who listens to the album either way. It it didn't occur to me on my first listen and maybe I'm just incompetent and didn't hear it right away. But, uh, I, I liked what they were trying to do in terms of lyricism and, you know, you see it right on the cover when it comes. And like, if you listen on Spotify, you see the, the graphic that moves, you know, behind the music of the iceberg melting, yeah. you know, obviously, yeah. obviously uh. climate change thing. And, you know, I think, um, it wasn't the worst, at least out of what I've seen in the past, three to four years. Um, it's on the same level as instrumentation for me. Like it's, it, uh, it needed work and it has kinks to work out, but, um, it stands on an even ground. All right. So, but, but Michael, what are your final impressions on this record? Yeah, I think there's a, a lot to be desired. Um, when I come down to it and I think I look at this album in a lot of ways that I do, um, a lot of bands that will, will come back and try experimentation really late in their career is that it's paving the way for something really great to come, I think. And if Eddie's got it in him, if McCready's got it in him, if everyone else does, I want to see another record. Um, I need to see another record. I need to see where this sound is going to go. And, um, you know, hopefully between now and then, I get to see these guys live and I get to get the full perspective of what Pearl Jam is and what it's about and um but until that next record comes um I feel like I'm not getting the full story with uh, what this sound is supposed to be and what we're trying to prove um with this level of experimentation all right um with that I think we should move on to recommendations yeah, uh yeah. I don't know. Now, I don't know, Joe, did, um, were you made aware of what we do at the end of here? If we give recommendations for anything you'd recommend people to listen to? Uh, yeah, I, don't yeah, know. I, mean, I got it late, but that's okay. I'm there. I, I, I got a couple thoughts. Okay. Well, let's, so. we always start with the guests first. And oh, just okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, if you're not ready, if you're not ready, we ready. can go around. Yeah. Uh, I was born ready. Okay. I'm five foot six and six and a half feet of attitude. Uh, you know what? Okay, I got two. Um, and every they, okay, it's it goes without saying that ninety percent of the time you close a Pearl Jam concert with a, a cover of "Rockin' in the Free World" by Neil Young. First of all, 
Harvest, Harvest Moon, just pick it up. Pick it up, listen to it. Just you, That's a thing that should be, anyone that loves music should be familiar with Neil Young. Uh, he's not underrated because he's rated very much so. Um, the record that the, uh, that track record in the free world came off of freedom from 1989. Um, I, 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 I have this fear. It's probably covered as classic rock now. And uh, that makes me angry. Um, but that is such a, I, I remember when MTV played music and played music videos and they had that song on heavy rotation. I think I want to say that might be the, this notes for you might be on that one or it might be on uh, an album prior, but so much good music comes from Neil Young and so much of I me, mean, as much as the who and everything else that influenced uh, uh, the band, that particular record that's resonant in everything they have. Been, and there's a reason why they keep covering that one more. Um, if you can hear them, especially if you can hear them doing this from around 1991 to 1993, a period of time where they were basically, uh, or where, where was uh, Abrazizi, forgive me, was their drummer. They have a track called Sonic Reducer. It's a cover from the Dead Boys. The album, oh, yeah. Young, Loud, and Snotty. It's 1977, year after I was born. That music is ripe. That is, that's proper punk. Uh, it's mean. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's the stuff you want to hear. It's not, it's, it's not going to sound refined. It shouldn't. Um, but that's, uh, that's, that's the dead or dead boys in general is good stuff. Um, I love Sonic Reducer and I loved it when I heard them covering it. Um, I don't like it as much nowadays because if they slow it back down, I mean, Cameron slows a lot of their covers down, but, uh, that one in particular uh, is when it's sped up a lot. Uh, when Jack Irons did it, when uh, Abrazizi did it, it's just my, my my kids are someplace behind me. I can't say exactly how I feel about it. <laughs> but Chef's Kiss, uh, Dead Boys, Young, Loud, and Snotty, and uh, Harvest, Harvest Moon, and uh, Freedom from Neil Young. Them's my picks for anyone that's digging on Pearl Jam. You can hear some some things and of course all of the who you should be listening to that anyway for sure um as an aside uh there is a great christmas parody of sonic reducer out there you got i saw some it's by some random unknown punk band that you got, there's a lot of these weird like underground christmas compilation punk rock christmas compilations you can find there's a great version of that instead of a uh, sonic reducer it's santa's a boozer yeah. I'm not going to say anything more, <laughs> but it's amazing. Yeah, uh, that, that's like five points to Gryffindor. That's a beautiful uh, yeah. reference right there. Thank you. Also, I've also seen, uh, I think on that same compilation, there is a, a rendition of Blitz's uh, Razors in the Night. Instead, it's Reindeers in the Night. That one's also <laughs> wonderful. Um, oh, that I, guess, I guess if I'm talking, I'll just go. Um, nothing to do with Pearl Jam, but um, I have, since we were living in... Uh, a time of a quite literal pandemic, I have been slowly accumulating this massive playlist that I have on Spotify that I've titled simply Living Under the Coronavirus. Pretty much every song about viruses, disease, contagions, pandemics, illness, what have you, has gone in there. Um, I think I have at least 20 songs in that playlist called Quarantine. Uh, that's, I don't think that's even an exaggeration. So I, I've been amassed quite the playlist. And there is a song that I found for it I actually been really digging quite a bit. I didn't, I don't know anything about the band or 
really even any more songs about them. I just found this one song, and it's called uh, Contagious, and the band's called The Motet. I don't know when they were formed. I, th- I know they're a newer band. It's actually a newer song as well. Uh, they're kind of like soul and funk kind of stuff in like really good soul and funk. I think they've got great – You they've this, the bass tones and the bass lines on there is everything I need. The horns are just fantastic on this thing, and just there's hooks in the song for days. Um, I'm sure Ben will – uh, insert a clip of that here. Yeah, I think this is oh, it's just so good. You'll have this in your head, guaranteed, and it's just a great song. So, uh, Contagious by the Motet, definitely go check that out. Um, I don't have anything else more to say about that. Michael, why don't you finish this off here? Cool. Yeah, uh, lastly, very close to Pearl Jam because it's literally the lead singer. I recommend you should check out a movie soundtrack um, to Into the Wild, oh, which sure. – uh, you know, I think Andrew and I have talked about this one before. I don't know if it's been on the show, but uh, the reason why I didn't, this is one of my favorite movie soundtracks. And the reason why I didn't bring it on our movie soundtracks episode is that I've never actually seen the movie, but I've listened to this soundtrack so many times and it's Eddie Vedder with an acoustic guitar for the most part, but acoustic instruments in general, you're going to hear some banjo, some ukulele and other things and uh, mandolin too, a great mandolin track. Um, so many good songs on that. You got Society, Hard Sun, um, Guaranteed are some of my favorites, but the whole record all around is beautiful and so well composed. Um, and, you know, I figured this would be a great time to recommend it. And I was going to wait until after I read the book to watch the movie. So, uh, you know, maybe in future episodes, I'll have a report on how that fits in the movie. But like, uh, just the, the soundtrack is beautiful. I stood to lose her When I saw what I had done Bound down and flew away The hours of her garden and her son So I tried to warn her I turned to see her weep Forty days and forty nights And it's still coming down Have you ever seen that movie, Joe? 
Yes, uh, and it's a beautiful book. Uh, it's a tolerable movie. Uh, it's a wonderful soundtrack. Um, uh, Hard Sun, the the collaboration. I can't remember her name from Slater Kenny. That that's a perennial. Uh, that's a perennial go to track just to, just to feel stuff and things. But you are right. It's he does the full soundtrack, and it's 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 the Eddie Vedder solo album that all the other ones try to be. Right. Uh, but no, it's a, it, it's a fine, I shouldn't, I shouldn't mock it. it. It's actually, it's a fine movie. I think it's Emil Hirsch um, in it. Uh, it's, it's a fine movie. It's just, you, you, I don't, I, I don't want to spoil it for you, but if you have an idea of what it's about, it's mm-hmm. just one of those things where you're like, Oh God, seriously, really? Yeah. Um, it, but it, it's a, it's a great book. It's a fine enough movie. It's a great soundtrack. It really is. Awesome. I think with that, now that the recommendations are out of... Wait, Ben, you got something? I, I do have something. Okay. I just have to make sure everyone's aware of this because I wasn't aware of it until like a day or two after. So uh, March 27th, um, out of the blue, out of nowhere, I got an email about it. Um, Bob Dylan released a 17-minute long song about oh. the assassination of John F. Kennedy. What? <laughs> what? Yeah, and this is... Th- this That didn't surprise me that much because... Um, he he always liked reading like really old newspapers and focusing on old news events in his yeah. songs. So he's finally upgraded to when he was alive, starting to write music. Um, but it's it's 17 minutes. It's really ambient. Uh, they're using like I think it's piano, uh, upright bass. There might be a little guitar in there. There's a drummer uh, who doesn't seem to know what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, uh, so I, don't, I don't know what's happening. The drums are, are strange and probably shouldn't be there. But it's kind of an ambient song that's crafted with acoustic instruments, which is really interesting. And he goes on and on and on. Uh, and if you like Bob Dylan, you'll probably like it. I think I like it. It's just overly long. Um, but I went for a walk and I listened to the whole thing and it's, it's a, it's an experience at least I'll say, check it out. If you like Bob Dylan, if you don't, don't make that your first inroads into Bob Dylan's music. Cause it's, it's long. It's really long. <laughs> That's what I'll say, but I do recommend it. I'll play a little bit of it and it's, it's good poetry at, at the least. Us little children, you'll understand The Beatles are coming, they're gonna hold your hand Slide down the banister, go get your coat Ferry across the mercy and go for the throat There's three bumps coming all dressed in rags Pick up the pieces and over the flags I'm going to Woodstock, it's the Aquarian age Then I'll go over to Altamont and sit near the stage Put your head out the window, let the good times roll There's a party going on behind the grassy knoll Alright Andrew, you want to close this out? Uh, yeah, um, again, we, we will actually, after this episode is concluded we'll be discussing what we're doing next so we don't really don't have any tips on when we're gonna what the next subtopic will be or even what's our upload schedule i mean obviously like the rest of the planet uh any plans for soundcheck has been um completely overturned so we will 
be deciding what we'll be doing next at some point soon. Uh, but without that, uh, all I'll say is just stay tuned to see my podcast. Check, keep an eye for our next episodes. Um, other than that, I don't think there's anything else. Um, Thanks always. so much for being oh, here. Oh, yes. And that, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Joe, for having us on. You're a terrific guest. Uh, we appreciate it. Sharing your <laughs> extensive knowledge of this band. We really appreciate it. I've been waiting it. 30 years to vacate my head of all this nonsense, and now I shall go and revisit anything else. I appreciate the opportunity now to have freedom. Y'all are, y'all are good folk and, uh, quite frankly, very knowledgeable of your own rights, so I am most appreciative to have been your guest. Thank you, Jeff. Awesome. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I don't think there's anything else. This episode has already gone on long enough. So good night. Uh, without further ado, <laughs> good night, Detroit. Good night, Detroit. Did I say that I need you? Did I say that I want if I didn't, I'm a fool, you see No one knows this more than me And I come clean I wonder every day As I look upon your face Everything you gave And nothing you would take Nothing you would take